I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Kat. They have Sunked Syndrome. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, is, yeah um, it's, I, I think because she's using external mic. Wow. Yeah, um, we uh, we had a, a show that we we're producing. They sent us their audio and video separately a couple days ago, and they did the their sync clap at the beginning, and they clapped like a song, <laughs> and it was so frustrating for me <laughs> trying to sing it up because I'm like, there's like 15 claps, and it's two here. people clapping, and one person was <laughs> off camera doing it in the background like this. And I was like. Guys, yeah. this is not the purpose. Yeah. What are you doing? This is not why we do this, people. <laughs> yeah, and this and this is what this is why Brian, you should have took flamenco in uh, when you were a kid. You know, you, I know you, that shit know. would just come naturally. I know. Should have sent it to me, dude. My flamenco <laughs> off the fucking charts. Yeah. Um, all right, we are sitting down with our new friend Cat, uh, all the way from the United States of America, the greatest country in the That's world. Correct. Some would say. Um, I'm not going to say whether I believe that or not. But I'm just like I'm just saying I've heard that. You're saying there's like a lot of people. There's, there's a lot of people that think that, uh, and and you know, um, for for good reason I'm sure. Uh, but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. I, I feel like I'm digging myself into a goddamn hole. It sounded. And I'm going to dig myself right back out, and I'm going to throw it over to Cat. Cat, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. I feel like we've got a lot to unpack because in your uh, in your short life so far you have gone through the fucking ringer and many uh, many a thing yes many a thing indeed um but uh but before we dive into it all take a moment to introduce yourself to the three of us uh give us some insight into who you are and 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 also to all of our listeners sure well i am first of all thank you for having me um but i am kat harrison i am an editor i'm a writer i'm a children's book author i'm a chronic illness advocate um i work in the community and editorial space and i am very chronically ill and that is it oh very chronically now it's not a competition <laughs> um but never uh, but i feel, very... the, I feel the, the very chronically ill deeply yeah but I is that like, like a very foreverly like <laughs> Like when I hear very chronically, it's like forever, forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah double chronically. <laughs> it's not going away. Yeah. Uh, infinitely uh, ill. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's not. It is not a competition. I do want to. I do want to like make that uh, make that known because you're not you're not beating me at chronic illness. But it seems no. like if it were a competition, you would be beating me. We used um, to do that, like early days of the show. We used to, yeah. we used to imagine what it would look like. Like if brain cancer and CF were going to yeah. fight in the ring. Yeah, if we could personify illnesses, yeah. which one would win? Yeah. If you yeah. There's and a reason why we stopped doing that. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Um, it was it, very hard to predict. Yeah, and also I, I just I feel like uh, it just people got real tired of it real quick. Yep. Um, but if we were to put ourselves in that situation right now um, and CF was in the ring against Cat uh, and what Cat is doing, dealing with a, I, I'm picturing this would be a very unfair fight in the fact that uh, it would just be poor old 
little CF all alone in their corner and Cat's corner. It, I mean, Cat's just running a whole fucking gym. My team is stacked. That's it. That's right. It's like everybody in the Royal Rumble just decided to pick on one guy. Cat, um, you. Uh, I mean, I mean, get, give us the list. Give us the laundry list of like. I guess the things that you have been told you were diagnosed with, things that you've kind of like struggled with, and then we can kind of unpack from there. But uh, yeah, like what, what, you know. Who's in the ring with you? We, yeah, who, yeah, exactly. Who's in that? Who's on in that corner? Well, my team includes um, chronic migraine. Had a migraine every day for 20 years. Um, I have something called bilateral vestibular loss, which means I have no balance system anymore. Y'all are bouncing on my screen while I look at you. That is permanent. My life is always like that. Um, I have something called sunk syndrome, which is a very rare headache disease that typically runs in men. I can tell you many stories about what that's like in the medical world when you are a woman. Um, And then also, I was just diagnosed with lupus this past summer just a just a quick point about the like the you said that it's predominantly sunk is it called sunk sunk s-u-n-c-t sunk sunk Sunk. which i which i do i do like that name sunk it's fun it feels you you said that um it's mostly in men but then you also kind of alluded to the fact that you know as a woman it it might be hard to get diagnosed in the medical system do you think that it it is mostly in men or do you think it's just mostly diagnosed in men. Mm. I think it's mostly diagnosed in men because yeah. the few random people that have found me on Instagram, they've all been women. Mm. Um, but I, one time I was about to have like a procedure done and there was an anesthesiologist, of course. And he came back and he goes, I don't believe that you have that. You are not a man. And I was like, Hmm, super great thing to say right before you put me to sleep. Also, not your business. Yeah. And also, <laughs> uh, kind of, uh, kind of presumptuous, especially in, in these bit. days, uh, you know, you, you, you might want to be careful, but, uh, who you say isn't, is not a man. Uh, because Correct. you, you, uh, you don't know that. Um, I guess, uh, I guess, you know, I do want to unpack like what sunk is all about and, and go into lupus and stuff like that. But before we do, um, you know, like it, we're, we're always kind of interested in, in people's origin story. And I know that, uh, the, you know, you mentioned lupus is a, a rather new diagnosis, but like the, the health issues that you've, you've been sort of juggling, uh, over the years, it, it stems from, early in life, uh, I take it. Um, maybe if, if you could take us through like a little bit of story time, since you are a, a, an author and write children's books, treat us like the new children who are sitting down to listen to the brand new book from Kat Harrison about the time that she was poisoned by IV antibiotics at 15 oh. years old. Get ready. So once upon a time, no, I (laughs) I was, was, I'm doing it. No. So I was 15 and up until then I had had a couple of ear surgeries. My eardrum disintegrated when I was in elementary school, just literally just melted. Um, and I had, yeah. yeah, Wait, 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 that can happen. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently I, I, my body does odd things and I live to tell the tale. You don't Um, say. had had like a slight cadaver eardrum put in there. Um, but that was like pretty easy peasy compared to like everything else that happened. So when I was 15, I had just like a, a regular ear infection. Um, and I was pretty, pretty like frequent visitor to my ear surgeon because I had had a couple surgeries before then. Mm-hmm. And I kept saying like, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. There's more drainage. Like I should not wake up in the morning and there'd be blood on my pillow for my ear. Mm. Um, and it got to the point where I was like, you, you need to look like you need to figure out what's going on. So they scheduled like an exploratory surgery. What do you know? My parents like 
somewhat worse nightmare when the surgeon came out and was like, hey, can I take you to that room? Um, so they went into that little private room and they found out that I had something. They didn't know at the time, but it ended up being pseudomonas, which is kind of like gangrene-ish. Mm-hmm. has similar properties to it. So it went for my ear, um, ate some cool holes in my skull, and then um, started getting into my brain, um, which is Ooh. why they were like, we need to put in a pick line ASAP. So they needed my parents' permission to do that. And I, so remember, I'm a freshman in high school. So this whole thing was just very like, what? So I woke yeah. up with a pick line. Um, I had to administer antibiotics three times a day via it. I had a home nurse that came to my house and drew cool little drawings on my IV, took my blood. Everything was like looking totally fine. No one had any reason for concern. But about six weeks in, I started having like the oddest symptoms. I was running into vending machines. I fell off this little bridge at my high school into a creek. Um, I was sitting in my psychology class and I could not find my test. I was like crawling around on my hands and my knees. Turned out it was on my desk. Um, I stopped being able to walk upstairs, things like that. And it was determined um, that I had something called ototoxicity, which essentially means the IV antibiotic I was on poisoned me. Um, And so completely took away my entire vestibular system. So I had to relearn how to read and walk and write. Um, I did some vestibular therapy. I have bouncing vision all the time now. I can't feel roller coasters, which some people think is like super cool. So I can be a badass and sit in the front seat. Don't feel a thing. Um, I don't feel motion. Um, So when I drive in a car, like I do have to keep an eye on the speedometer. And yes, I do drive. Um, A lot of people are like, is that safe? But I don't know what it's like to drive without bouncing vision. Because wow. I was 15 when it happened Whoa. to me. That's very yeah. interesting. So, okay. So, this, I mean, this is wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so, wait, that's it's kind so of a wild story. Just, just yeah, a high-level so question to, like, to um, better understand the experience, too. So, what is your vestibular system and what mm, does it question, do? Brian. So your vestibular system is what controls the mechanism for balance. It What allows you to stand upright and not sway, but it also controls the stability of your vision. That was absolutely not something I realized. It's basically like baked into the inner ear hairs. And so what the antibiotic did is it just burned all of that. Some people who who get that side effect, which it is actually very common with that antibiotic, mm. um, but it was kind of a do or die, literally, um, in terms of I had very limited options for what I was able to take after they found the infection. But yeah. yeah, your vestibular system is just what allows you to walk through life very stably, and literally mm. walk through life. Yeah. Um, and so... They call us wobblers, people <laughs> well, who don't have so, vestibular right, systems. Right. So, so what is it like? I, I mean, cool the, the driving thing is like, that's kind of like down the line of my fascination. That's very fascinating. But like on like the more simplistic side, like when you are without a vestibular system, what does it look, I guess, or feel like for you to, to like get up and, and navigate the world around you? So if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would have had like a very visceral description, but in all reality, I've lived more of my life without a vestibular system than I have with. Right. So I don't really remember too, too much what it's like, but the way I like to describe it is if you went to a grocery store, and I say that because there's a lot of colors, there's a lot of lights, there's a lot of stimulation. If you went into an aisle, someone spun you in a circle on an office chair and then like made you run. And Ooh, how that would feel to do that, how overwhelming the sights would be. That's kind of what it feels like on a daily basis. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. That's my wild. my I, daughter is like newly fascinated with um, like spinning. spinning around in yeah. circles, and yeah. which is really funny because she just spins around in circles and you can tell. And like she kind of, she like, 
she moves her eyes to the side of her head like th- like that. Yeah, yeah. And then mm-hmm. and she spins in circles mm-hmm. and then she stops and then I can she she gets this wide grin on her face and she's like, I'm gonna do it. And I'm yeah. like, Don't run. Just just and for she reference. She runs and then she just smashes into a it, wall. Which is funny because like that I mean, that is that's a that's so fascinating because she's so young that that is just this like innate sort of built in you know, who knows if if every kid does that at some point, but it's like every kid has moments like that where they are doing something to affect a, a particular like part of their mm-hmm. existence well, I in order it. to just sort of, uh, well, okay, my, my assumption would be it's like it's her basically exploring her vestibular system without is. even knowing that yeah. she is. Yeah, it, right? it basically is. Like it, it's like it's, giving her a baseline yeah. of like, this is what's normal, this is what's yeah. not, and here's how I can affect it. And you know, not that she knows what that effect is or it's a, it's a developmental like milestone. That's that's so crazy. Where, you know, at a certain age, like between X months and X months, you're, you're supposed to be like, Oh, you know, your child is probably starting to spin around in circles and experience (laughs) what it's like to alter their, their sense of balance and how they walk around the world. Is that standard for, um, a child that's like 81 weeks and four days old? Hmm. Yeah, 81, mm-hmm. 81, 81 and four, 81, 81, 81 weeks, four days <laughs> so to, to 87 weeks, two days. Um, yeah, that's how, that's I, how we I do, reference. I do uh, want to say uh, autotoxicity. First time I ever heard of this. Super fascinating. So, Welcome, new term of the day. Yeah, you. love it. So again, autotoxicity, a medical term that refers to damage done to an individual's hearing health as a result of taking medications. Um, and like, you know, I, I feel like it's not uncommon for people to be aware of the fact that like certain meds can do damage. Um, you know, it's like when you think of chemotherapy, like, you, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's killing cancer, but it's also just doing damage to your body anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I just, as you guys were talking there, I, I was kind of curious, like, like what specific drugs can cause autotoxicity? And there's a, there's a whole list of them. Um, the most common reported autotoxic drugs in clinical use are, I'm going to, I'm going to nail this. Amino glycoside antibiotics. That's correct. Yeah, and I also can't say that word very well. I'll uh, just. Can I? Do you want me to say the specific name yeah. of the medication? Okay, it's called genomycin. Yeah. Okay. Um, and now we're gonna get sued by uh, by Big Pharma. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, the other one there. The other ones here are uh, macrolide antibiotics, loop diuretics. Don't know what that is. Uh, antimalarials, chemo, uh, chemotherapeutic agents such as. Uh, cisplatin, which we talked about the other day, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So, um, NSAIDs, uh, yep. yeah, NSAIDs. So that would be like, a, uh, Tylenol, like, like, yeah, exactly. Advil, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got acetaminophen and qu- uh, quin- quinine, 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 N- NSAIDs, NSAIDs, NSAIDs. Yeah. N S A I D. What is that? What is that? Um, is it's that over like the counter. Not, it's just over, over the counter, exactly like Tylenol and shit. He actually said the acronym where he said it's a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Yep. Okay, that was what it was for. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. said, okay. yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a list of them, and and so very, very fascinating. But it's it's like it's funny because I don't I don't know. There's something interesting. <clears throat> there's there's something kind of interesting to me about the fact that you had pseudomonas mm-hmm. in your fucking ear. Yep. Which led to your brain, essentially, through your mm-hmm. skull and your brain, pseudomonas, familiar mm-hmm. with as a CF patient. That's like, you know, that, that's like the last thing that you want to get um, is becoming it's not pseud- fun. It's not great. pseudomonas positive. Um, but so bizarre that like you had this thing that was already affecting your ear, your, you know, your vestibular system in general. And then you just happen to go on antibiotics that also just happen to fuck that place. Like, do you feel like... 
the fact that you already had ENT type issues as a as a youngster, like that could have added to the sensitivity to something like antibiotics or like, or do you, is that just your genetic makeup? Like you would, it would have happened no matter what, if you got pneumonia and it would still have fucked your ears up. So there are a few theories. I think one, my previous history with ear infections did not help, um, especially because I had uh, something called a tympanoplasty done a few times prior to that surgery. Basically means you have a hole in the eardrum. Um, sometimes they take like a part of your actual ear canal and they like patch it up. Sometimes they use like synthetic patching. So I think the fact that I'd had previous work done definitely didn't help. I also have a lot of allergies to mm. antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... No one kind of connected the dots that it's possible that I would be more susceptible to something like this. But the latest discovery is it's likely lupus that is what is causing those recurrent infections. Because I will say that was really just the beginning, friends. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like that surgery, I've had 10 since. Most of them on the exact same ear, exact same place. I had part of my skull removed six, uh, 10 months ago Whoa, um, because yeah. of another infection. So, How old are you now? I am 35. Okay, okay. So and, it's been and, a while. And so the, the, and the, the other thing that you mentioned at the beginning, which, which fascinates me from like an experiential point of view, is, is migraines. And is, oh, that, is, is that the longest running? Is that the thing you've is – that, does that predate – all of this stuff with your with your no. ear, it is a side. It is basically a side effect of having oscillopsia. So oscillopsia is the visual disturbances, the bouncing that I experience, which is technically a symptom of bilateral vestibular loss. Oh, okay. But chronic migraine had never had a migraine in my life until that mm. happened, and likely, you know, the cause of it is when your vision is constantly doing this. Your head really fucking hurts. So that makes so much sense because it's kind of like, um, like I noticed this a lot at the start of COVID when Zoom meetings became um, really popular. So if you were on a Zoom call and you were you had a bad connection, but you like remained perfectly still, mm-hmm. the connection could stay pretty steady. But if you moved your arms a lot or like moved around a lot. The connection would get Sorry, that, um, weaker. That, what was that like? Brian? So it's like it, like nobody can see me right now, but it was kind of like oh, yeah, like okay. this. They don't need um, to see you, dude. They can feel it. And so, <laughs> visualize it, everyone. And so yeah. it's like that would increase the bit rate of the information that had to change for every frame, okay. which then like okay. tax the computer system, which okay. would make it really hard. So I'm kind of thinking of like this like bouncing vision as like your brain working like overdrive trying to it like. Is like correct the image that's coming in and so like i I can i could see how like in like super bro bro science he was leading he was losing me for a minute and then that this would lead to actually brought it around yeah yeah yeah. it would lead to this like like your brain going what the fuck is going on yeah my boss, my body is essentially just having to work very, very, very hard to exist. Yeah. Um, I already deal with chronic fatigue, but oscillopsia makes you very, very tired. Um, mm. One of the the doctors, you know, twenty years ago, an infectious disease, and then eventually when I saw vestibular like specialists, they told me that like if I get under ten hours of sleep, I will not like myself that day. Ooh. And I always thought it was kind of silly, and I really pushed through, especially in my twenties and when I was in school. I really pushed through that concept of like. I'll be fine on six. And I just have noticed on the days that I don't get enough sleep, my vision is like twice as bouncy Mm, the next day, which therefore makes my head a lot worse. So sleep is one of those things where I had to be like, this is a non-negotiable. Like if I want to do things, if I want to live more comfortably, like I have to prioritize it and it does help. I have, I have one more question about like when this first started to happen to you. And, and, and I know 
that you said that it's like kind of hard for you to remember what it was first like when it happened. Um, I know when like if I do virtual reality and I put mm-hmm. a headset on and the like feed is off a little bit, um, I get really sick. I get like mm-hmm. very motion sick. And I'm wondering if you remember at all in the early days of like was that was that bouncing or oscillopsia? Mm-hmm. That's called. So um, like it comes from the verb to oscillate. To oscillate. So, cool. So back and forth. Was did do you remember like having any initial feelings of like whoa this is this is crazy and and like oh, I oh, feel yeah. nauseous. Oh yeah. I mean I couldn't yeah. I couldn't go up the stairs. Right. I mean I literally it would take <laughs> yeah. me a half an hour. I had to crawl on my hands and knees because basically what happens is so for instance I see the three of you on my screen. I know there are three of you, but I see about 10 of you. So I really had to train myself to figure out which of you is the real you. Whoa. So the same goes for stairs, right? I have to figure out which lip that I'm seeing is the correct lip of the stair. You probably would never know I have it unless you walk next to me. I have to have most people that I'm with walk on my left side. I'm much more stable that way. If you walked on my right, I literally would just be bumper carring. How are you not um, uh, like perpetually vomiting? Well, that's where chronic migraine comes in. I deal with significant nausea. Um, I was... So I feel like there's a curse and a blessing that it happened so young to me. I feel like my just general teenage self really helped me in a lot of ways, right? Like I wasn't really willing to just sit down and let it happen to me. I was a very active athlete at the time. And so I kind of said no to vestibular therapy. I probably should have done it more religiously. And I just started running again. Um, Fell a lot. Fell down a hill once. That was fun. Um, But I don't know. It just kind of – it just helped me not take no for an answer but when i was running cross country i would often pass out um when i was done i would push myself so intensely and i would usually puke because i would i sometimes lose my vision entirely like i don't black out in that sense but like my vision goes completely dark my vision changes colors and a lot of that is also tied to chronic migraine so it's very Mm. messy it makes me wonder how you're able to like write or look at words on a computer screen and type and do those types of things i imagine that that's so difficult to like Focus on what line you're looking at. If you're trying to like edit a piece or read something, was that? Mm-hmm. And difficult? that's what I do for a living. So I right, just exactly. I had to train myself. But the other thing I do is like truly doing work on my computer is really the only screen time I do. I don't watch a ton of TV. I don't really watch movies. All of that's very hard for me. I'd ra- I'd rather write and I'd rather kind of do stuff like this and engage in the world that way. Um, but screens are very difficult. Like if I go to a movie theater, which I don't really anymore, but I would have to sit like pretty far back. The closer I am, the harder it is to perceive. I also can't wear glasses. So I wear contacts, but when I wear my glasses at night, my vision gets trapped and it's really hard to explain if you don't do it but it, it makes my vision much worse let's just say that so I put on my mm-hmm. glasses and I, I am unable to determine what is what I would never be able to say drive with glasses absolutely not I, I mean I, I know it's really hard to explain but like can you try to like try to 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 sort of help us understand like what does that mean when your vision gets trapped so, uh, there's, there's, there, man, there's some, my fucking like paranormal brain is just going off here mm-hmm. and all this shit. Because <laughs> I, I think that part of it is what glasses are supposed to do, right? So glasses are supposed to focus your vision and allow you to see things in more significant detail. When I put glasses on, it's like I know the world is in front of me, but all I see is like a bunch of crayons stuck together and that color that would create, that's what I see. Whoa! Like, does it like sort of focus your vision into a kaleidoscope almost? It's like there's so much chaos in what you're seeing, typically that it's like 
almost like Weird. amplifying that. And I will, I will, I will throw up if I yeah. like wear my glasses more than fifteen minutes for wow. sure. It's remarkable that you can drive. So, okay, I, I do want to put the caveat because I do know it scares people and I think it makes people think that I'm like a daredevil. So I, I would <laughs> like to say I have a lot of restrictions on my driving that I have self-imposed. So sure. I, I cannot drive the highway. Um, did I drive it for my driver's test? Absolutely. But merging, especially anything above like 50 miles an hour, mm, real tough. And then I don't drive at night and I don't drive in intense precipitation because kind of like when I wear glasses, when I'm in a car and everything's, I can, I can channel the bouncing vision well enough through through like the glass but when i add precipitation it's kind of like my vision gets trapped Mm. i mean i even noticed that like i i I don't wear glasses i i'm starting to realize that my vision is slightly changing and i'm kind of on on the on the edge of going "Ah, i should probably get a pair of prescription glasses that would like a like a minor prescription that would help but even before i noticed that i've noticed that like in my late 20s and now my early 30s driving at night and especially with like rain, it's mm-hmm. totally different than it was when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I have good vision, and that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to- yeah, and it, like it, it, it's. Um, I mean, fuck, I, I can. I, I. It's really ama- It's really fascinating to speak to somebody who is like experiencing the world in front of them in a very different, like in a very real, like uh, visual way. Mm-hmm. That and trying to wrap your head around that as somebody who's not experiencing it that way, like it is, it is one of those things that's like unless I could just like get behind your eyes and see out, you you would never really. It would be very very difficult, and I think that this is the other thing that always kind of weirds people out. It doesn't really bug me anymore. Like I'm just so used to it. It's a very mm. constant. I don't see doctors. It's just like it's a permanent disability. It's not something mm. that needs to be managed. Do a few things, right? Make a few accommodations for myself. But in terms of like what condition affects my life the most? Yeah. And that's probably the most that. fascinating yeah. part of it in the whole thing is I, is the idea of of the difference between something being acute and yeah. if that were to like mm-hmm. stri- if your if what you're dealing with right now were to like strike me in this moment, I mean, my world would be in absolute mm-hmm. disarray yeah. every sure function would. everything would deteriorate immediately but then the way that you and people living with uh, any number i mean you jerry we're living with cystic fibrosis yeah. is like you can you it just eventually yeah. integrates but, into okay, your whole experience right but i i do want to i do want to just jump in here and point out that's one aspect of what you're dealing with cat that's correct because when you know when we're talking about when we're talking about chronic migraines or fuck, we haven't even touched on sunk. Like those are two things that I don't give a fuck how long you've been living with that. I, I would, I would just, I, that is one example of something where I would go, I don't believe you. If you were to tell me that, Oh yeah, you just get used to it or, Oh yeah. You know what? It's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't even notice it anymore. It's a, a fucking migraine is, is enough to, you know, it's like it's one of those things where it's like if you had if you had let's say you had chronic migraines to in to the degree of like it just never went away. Like that's mm-hmm. one of those things that would that would probably drive most people to like drive at night on a highway when they're not supposed to. You know, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. like it's it's enough to like literally drive you to a point of going, I don't think I want to live anymore. Like this is too much. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, why do you think the chronic pain and suicide rates are exactly. what they are? Like, exactly. it's 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 very debilitating. Yeah. I have had to 
it's kind of why I've just embraced talking about health all the time. It's been extremely healing for me. Yeah. I think where I was much worse and when I was my most depressed self is when I repressed everything. Yes. I never told anyone that I was living with anything. And then I felt very frustrated. I felt very misunderstood. And while there are still many interactions that I have, which are very just like, wow, you don't get it. It, mm. it is better for me to talk about it because it makes me feel less alone but also you do get used to it i know mm. i know that that's mm -hmm. weird but when you are living like living in pain 24 7 when it gets really exacerbated of course it bothers me like mm -hmm. i hate the world i don't want to exist but i you just push through otherwise i, I would not yeah. be able to engage in life at all Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Can you run us through Sunked? Because again, I, uh, prior to this conversation, I had no idea what it was. I looked it up before we sat down to talk, and and mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's kind of wild. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, yeah, you want to give us a little overview of Sunk? Yeah, so it's essentially a rare headache. Like when I say rare, I mean very, very rare. Um, it's only been kind of diagnosed in the past, like eight, nine years. Um, and most of the cases are international. I just so happened to have a headache specialist who had seen one other patient from somewhere else in the country that has it. I blamed it on being an ocular migraine for so long, an ocular migraine mm -hmm. being one that manifests behind one singular eye. Um, and I used to get those a lot, but I think what I was missing are the other symptoms that accompany it. So basically mm. sunk is up to 200 very small lightning headaches in a day. So like the attacks last seven to 14 seconds. Like they're so brief, but it feels like you are being stabbed in the eye, but mm. it's accompanied by very specific autonomic syndrome symptoms. So for instance, my, my one eye where the pain is will just start tearing. I will just start like snotting on one side of my nose. Sometimes my face will kind of droop. Um, the beautiful thing about Sunked, and again, I know you're going to be like, what is that? It does go through periods of remission. So I don't think I've had an attack in about two years. Okay. Okay. Whoa. Whoa. So that's beautiful. Yeah, but wow. when, when you have it, cause here's the other thing, the treatment that's available for it, basically nothing. Right. Like kind of like anti-epileptic, like, um, those meds kind of work, but then high flow oxygen. So the first year that I was diagnosed, I had this huge ass, just like oxygen tank in my living room. And it's such an intensely high pressure and amount of oxygen. It makes you very, very dizzy, probably exacerbated by how dizzy I'm on a daily basis. Right, right. But it's the only thing that like kind of took the edge off, but it only took the edge off while I was doing it. The moment I take the oxygen mask off, the pain is right back to normal. And just, so just curious, like, like, you know, cause so uh, ocular migraines are something that I'm I'm very familiar with. I, mm -hmm. Due to I've had a, a ton of sinus issues. So over the years, like when my sinus polyps like become more of an issue, then the the ocular migraines happen pretty much on a daily basis, um, unless I take you know unless I take uh, ibuprofen 
at the start of the day, if I take one ibuprofen mm-hmm. when I wake up, I'm not going to like have to worry about it. But if I don't take that ibuprofen, mm-hmm. around like 12 o'clock, you know, noon, you know, maybe one o'clock, I'll start to feel the sensation of the ocular migraine coming on. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's kind of like, ah, fuck, too late. Like, you know, yep. I, I, like, I'll, take, I'll take a fucking ibuprofen or something. I'll have to go through a period of uncomfortableness, and then hopefully that kicks in. If I don't take anything at all, in about an hour and a half or two hours, that's when the pain is like at its all-time peak. But again, that is a very, I mean, con- like comparing to sunk, that is a very long, drawn-out process of seeing this, like, this train in the distance that's about mm-hmm. to fucking hit me. Yeah, Sunk does not like that. Okay, so do you get any warning I, no, at all? Or it's no, like, it's no. just all of a sudden a fu- someone took an ice pick and just stuck it in your face. Yes, I mean, I, I, can, I can be eating a <sighs> salad and wow. just, just feel like it. Because migraine is very different. So mm-hmm. migraine has four phases, right? And I know when I'm having a really, really bad migraine coming on, I will yawn constantly. Mm-hmm. Just like continuously for an entire day. And that's how I know the next day is going to be really bad. And that's when I would pre-treat or pre-medicate um, because Whoa. I know that would help me the next day. But sunk, no warning at all. Wow. Wait, God, that's, that's like horrifying. It. That is literally a nightmare. It's very scary. Is is the yawning thing, like is that um, that's is that thing. like a, a that known, be an aura? like sort of be textbook? considered an aura? Yeah. That, that can, that kind of can be considered an aura or it looks like many, many different things for different people. I don't mm. really get them to be honest. Like I'm not as bothered by a lot of sensory things as other people light for sure. I, I mean, I have the light on now, but I will turn it off the minute we are done with this. I keep my house very, very dark. Mm. Um, and that helps me considerably. But when I have the house very dark, it's very hard for me because my vision does not do well in the dark. Oh, so you have to like sacrifice right. one thing for another. But I basically like I could walk my around my house with my eyes closed and be totally fine because that's what it feels like sometimes. Is like when I'm really familiar with the space, like I can I could could walk around in five things like no problem because oscillopsia kind of makes it so you feel that sensation anyways. You you develop you know those stories of people who are like I developed another sense. Like when I lost my vision entirely or lost my hearing, it's true. You just your brain your brains are amazing. Mm-hmm. They can be very dangerous, but they're amazing in the way they regenerate and the way they have new neural pathways that just allow you to do different things. So the body adjusts. I don't mm-hmm. say I, I, I don't love it, but the when, body adjusts. Is it sort of like when you like when you close your eyes, do you you feel the same things in the same sense of like when I, I used to have a um, a membership to the local ski hill, and mm-hmm. um, when I would go snowboarding and be snowboarding all day and get in the car to drive home, I would still feel the sensation of like going back and forth. Yes. Um, is that what it's like when you close when your When I'm eyes? standing up. So the, the other thing I want to make clear though is that if I sit for a while and I'm not moving my head from side to side, my vision stabilizes almost completely. Like so that like Zoom right call. N- Yeah, <laughs> so, but right now it's, it's trickier because I'm standing and I'm holding on to something. And so, like, I'm I'm not not trying to fall over, but I have to be more careful. So mm. my vision is bouncier right now with you all than it would be if I was just, like, sitting on the surface. But yeah, when that, I lay down, I don't feel like I'm on a boat or anything yeah. like that. And that, that, that bounciness literally just might be Brian's uh, untreated ADHD. Like, he just yeah. does not stop moving. Yeah. So it's, I, I think, you yeah. know, I mean, not to, like, not to, you know, diminish what you're going through, but. No, no, but. Uh, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's just, I think it's just Brian. It's, yeah. yeah, it's me. Sorry. He's contributing uh, to and, your and also me He's waving my, waving my arms like that. So you get the. <laughs> diagnosis of, of 
of lupus recently. And mm. uh-huh. is that is that an aha moment for any of it this is. shit? Like, is that just mm-hmm. like the, the the that final piece of the puzzle that just like starts to bring everything together and make things make sense? I think so. And what sucks so much is I did not see it coming. Mm. I It was one of the diagnoses that I had to, it's probably the only one where I had to fight this hard in the sense that like I literally just took things into my own hands and like would not take people telling me I was fine. Um, I started experiencing really debilitating chest pain about two and a half years ago. Again, instead of feeling like you're stabbed in the eye, it's like you're stabbed in the chest. I have gone through every single test you can possibly imagine and no one found anything. And eventually I was like, okay, I feel like I have something autoimmune going on. I get four to five fevers a week, usually at the end of the day when I'm very tired. Um, I all my face, probably by the end of this, I'll have a very large butterfly rash um, because this is taking a lot of my energy. Love doing it, but it takes a lot of spoons. Um, and so uh, everything adds up. Um, why things happen to me, why I, I get so tired, why I get fevers, it all it all makes sense. But I didn't see it coming. No one's ever uttered that word to me before. Um, but apparently it's very obvious if you know what you're looking for. Well, it for. seems mm-hmm. to be like in, in our experience of talking to people, I mean, it seems to be something that, I mean, is very challenging to diagnose because it, it, it almost is. seems like it's, it, it is only in hindsight, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, like the, after a, after a long time of gathering a collection of things that when you put them all together, then the picture looks like lupus. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. before that, like things on their own. Are, are, seem to be seem in people's experience to be very hard for for the medical um, for healthcare to 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 see clearly mm-hmm. that it can be something. It has like it has connected the pieces for sure. My ear surgeon is actually thrilled to know that I have an autoimmune diagnosis. I think my case really frustrates him. Like he mm. presents about me to conferences because he just doesn't know why things don't stick, why surgical recovery is so hard for me. And now it all makes sense. Is like my tissue is atten- uh, like essentially attacking itself. So mm-hmm. I will tell you, I told you before this, and I got bad news earlier this week and I'll share, which is why it's like the double-edged sword of lupus. So um, I had another really bad infection last year, at the end of last year. I tend to get very sick November and December. I don't really know how to explain it, but most of my surgeries happen around there. I think mm-hmm. it's likely, I don't know, Jeremy, if you experience this, but you push yourself so hard to just like get through everything and finally your body is just like absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens to me November and December. But I had so an emergency surgery because my ear was draining to the point where it was actually burning my face. Um, and I was like, this is not um, normal. And they went in and like my skull was in real bad shape. Thankfully, the infection didn't get to my brain this time, but it was pretty bad. So they took out some of my skull and I had a complete reconstruction of my ear canal. Oh, so wow. what basically it's called a canal wall down. They take out part of your ear canal and they just widen it really like huge and the point being is that when i go and see him he's able to like see the inside of my skull which makes it much easier to identify like infections and stuff like that but recovery has not gone well um it took me about seven months to finally kind of bounce back from this and on monday i found out that lupus is reversing the surgery so the cavity Uh. has already closed by one third Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Okay, so I have so many things here. First of all, your ear was leaking and it was burning your face. Was your ear just leaking acid? Like, what happened? What's that? They don't don't know because all of the... I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but all of the samples they took and everything they tried to grow, they could not identify what it was. 
So they have Whoa. no idea, no idea, virus, bacterial, fungal. No but idea. like whatever was leaking out of your ear was like an irritant for your skin. Is that what you mean it by hurt. the? Yeah, it hurt so bad. Like what the whole fuck, bottom dude? part of my ear was like chafed and just like oh. it burned. And that's where I got to the point where I was just like, we, I obviously don't want surgery. And it's actually sure. kind of dangerous for me to just keep having these very aggressive surgeries on the exact same spot, scar tissue, things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know it was possible for an autoimmune condition to like reverse it. I just, I didn't yeah. even know that. I, I mean, they, like, do they, they know how? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing, like, like with, with autoimmune, I, I like you, you just said something earlier that reminded me of this wild story that I'm sure you, you've heard, but if you didn't, please look into it. Um, it was the story of this woman who was catatonic for like oh, for yes. 20, 25 years or whatever. And they just, you know, they chalked it up to schizophrenia. She's, she has schizophrenia. She went catatonic. Um, basically has not said a peep or done anything herself for 20 odd years. And, uh, we, you know, we lift, we pick her up and we help feed her and we bathe her and we, you know, all the things like it, she needs someone at full time to like take care of this woman. And this this doctor who heard of her, who heard of her actually met her when he was in med school, happened to hear about this woman 20 years later by a, a student that he was teaching. And the, and, the, and the student was telling him about this woman who was catatonic and she's been catatonic for 20 years. And the doctor goes, huh, are you like, you know, are you talking about Shelly or whatever her name was? It like Shelly, whatever. And the student was like, yeah. And the doctor goes, get the fuck out. She's still in that state. Wow, like I, I met her when I was your age, when I was going through med school. And so he was a, I believe he was a neurologist or something, but he, he was like, I I'm going to go check on her. I want to like, I, I kind of want to like look into this because that's, that seems so odd to me. It, long story short, they end up discovering that this woman's catato catatonic state, her catatonia had nothing to do with schizophrenia. And in fact, they brought her out of that catatonic state when they began to treat her for lupus. And they figured out that lupus up and you know up until today we always mm -hmm. the, 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 you know physicians the, the medical the medical world always thought that lupus was something that and I could be wrong here but I'm pretty sure it was like lupus does not attack past the blood brain barrier it's not attacking the brain it attacks you know the neck down kind of idea mm -hmm. yeah basically uh, all other organ systems yeah yeah and so then they they figured out actually lupus was effect it was attacking this woman's brain and that was the thing that led her to this catatonia, which is like, you know, you hear that and you go, okay, well, that's just one example of probably a trillion things that we just mm -hmm. have no fucking clue when it comes to the human body, whether it, whether it pertains to autoimmune disorders, whether it pertains to genetic, you know, genetic lung diseases, whether it pertains to cancer. Like, we just don't, there's so much that we don't know. And, and when we hear stories of lupus on the podcast or pretty much anything to do with autoimmune disease, it always, I always leave these conversations feeling like, you know what? I don't think anybody knows a fucking thing. I, like, I, I don't, don't think know, so. I don't to think be honest, I don't think so. Goddamn thing about anything. Like it's just fucking. It's, it's all wild. lupus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, all lupus. Everything. Everything leads. You broke back your to arm. Lupus. It's absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Lupus is everything. Cat, I want to come back to to this surgery. Was the surgery called canal wall down? That's correct. That's like the layman's term. I think it's technically called like a. Something plasty. I don't know. It, it sounds like canal a wall down. Canal wall down sounds like, a, sounds like a an fucking, album from like a sick band. Uh, yeah, I was gonna sure say it sounds, there's sound, also a canal wall up. 
Yeah, so. yeah. I, I was gonna say it sounds like a like a like a like a, a like a U.S. military movie about the Navy SEALs, and they just like they went to the they went to the canal and they took that wall down to get the <laughs> to get the insurgents, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But then the Black Hawk crashed, and uh, it was a whole thing. But now, like the sequel's yeah, happening already. Like canal, the canal wall is going back up, not in a way that the surgery is happening to do that, mm-hmm. but Lupus is making it happen yes. like that. Mm-hmm. But I have another quick story since you guys like weird body horror. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, like, yes. Five years ago, I again, so I had four surgeries between 2016 and 2018. Three out of the four were on the on the right side. One out of four was on the left side. And on the right side, one year, they tried really hard to go around the eardrum and to, like, get tissue out, and they weren't able to. So the second surgery, they split my eardrum in half with a laser. Whoa. And they just went, will it grow back? It took about a year, but my eardrum did eventually grow back together. Holy so fuck. Cool. Dude, the is the when you say eardrum, just like just a little bit of anatomy here. Is, when you say eardrum, are you referring drum. to the co- cochlea the, or the cochlea? Is ear. that what the eardrum no, is? I'm, no, I'm literally referring to the ear. It's what, what is what is the eardrum like? Like the eardrum. What's the difference between the eardrum and the cochlea? I thought a cochlea was part of the hearing system. Like okay. there are three hearing bones, and I only have two hearing bones because two of mine have been fused together from past surgeries. Um, and the only way for me, I, I still have like relatively decent hearing, which is surprising considering mm. everything I've been through. I used to wear a hearing aid, don't anymore. I had to make that weird decision of my hearing aids were affecting my head pain really, really bad. Sure. And I basically had to think like, would I rather hear better or would I rather be in less pain? And I chose less pain. Yeah. Um, people don't talk about that a lot. Like the mm-hmm. stuff that people who are chronically ill have to like sacrifice for their other conditions that are like battling itself. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's the lesser of two evils? Uh, I feel like I should start a video game on all of my weird (laughs) surgeries. Totally. Really fun. This might, um, this might, this might, uh, just happened to segue into a a part of the conversation that I know we, we, we kind of talked about at the beginning that we might touch on, but, um, um, a bit of, it's a, it's a bit of a story. Do you, do you ever listen to Radiolab? Do you know you know you know of it? Um, yeah. Um, so there's this there's this really fascinating episode from a long time ago. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, the long long and short of it was that it was about it was about autoimmune disorders mm. and um, and um, and uh, the placenta. It was really about the placenta, and then it sort of like made its way into autoimmune disorders. But it was this really fascinating um, theory, and it wasn't like a conclusive thing. Like this is definitely what it is, but it was like a. I think it's a pretty it's a pretty like leading theory um, that autoimmune disorders are like way more common in women and That's um, and that the reason for that is or that that a theory that the, the, uh, for the reason for that is that um, women have a an, a a stronger immune system like a more active immune system because of an evolutionary trait of um, when you get pregnant, your immune system drops. Like your immune mm-hmm. system is suppressed during pregnancy. Um, and so to kind of like compensate so that when you become pregnant, your immune system isn't so suppressed that you are vulnerable to all these infections and blah, 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 that a female's immune system is like is overactive kind of like to begin with to account for that period of time that's, you know, when you're pregnant. And so because of that, they think, because of that, that's one of what that could be like a leading reason why there are so many autoimmune disorders in women. 
which I just That's found interesting. Like, and then I've and never then, heard that. And then there was a crazy thing that like interplayed with the placenta and what the placenta does and all this stuff. It was really because the placenta is, is seen as a foreign body. That's right. That's and, right. It shares and DNA with it, the yeah. yeah. Um, right. But the, and then the one of the other things that that God, came that came out episode. of that discussion, which is interesting to think about, is that oftentimes people who have autoimmune disorders uh, and, and they and when they become pregnant. The their autoimmune disorders almost like um, they, they almost become muted. It's like they they mm-hmm. they, yeah, they, like they, they sort of pause in that period of pregnancy. Um, I've heard that for people who live with migraine. I've heard from people sure. who like during pregnancy, it's like the best their head has ever been. Right, and then it returns as soon as they give birth. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, to that point about like about you know pregnancy and and having children. You're you're in your mid thirties. Um, you know, I, I, like as someone who lives with chronic illness, I always, I always thought I would never have kids. A, I was, you know, CF made me sterile. Um, but I could do it through IVF if I wanted to. And, uh, but I always, I never really wanted to have kids and more so just because I don't know, it just wasn't on my radar. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that like, I thought I was going to die young. So like, what's the, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to fucking be that guy. Um, who just like has a kid knowing he's going to die. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm sure lots of people have done that, but I just didn't want to like, I just didn't want to. You didn't want that for yourself. Yeah, I didn't want to die on my kids, you know? Um, Fair. uh, Not not die on them, but (laughs) I mean, you know, die next to them. Um, But... but tragic, I'm, regardless. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Um, no matter what way you look, probably at more it. so if you die on top die of on them, though. Yeah, yeah that's pretty yeah, tragic. Slightly yeah. more tragic. If um, on them. But I, I guess yeah. So I guess my but but again. So now I'm 35, right? And uh, and and there's been some changes in you know in treatment and medication for CF. And now all of a sudden I'm like I've got baby fever. Like I can't wait to have a kid. Um, so I'm curious about your your you know the place that you find yourself in where you're in this position where you are dealing with like so many things that have to do with your health and your well-being. And this cuts into time in your day. It cuts into your ability mm-hmm. to like focus on fucking anything that matters in your life. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on having a child or, you know, or pregnancy or like, is that, has your, has your experience with autoimmune slash, you know, chronic illness, has it, has it um, influenced your thoughts or decisions surrounding children? Definitely. And I'm actually really proud of myself that I can talk about this more publicly because for a very, very long time, it's a very hard topic for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I've always wanted to be a mom just like for so long. It wasn't like a dream of mine necessarily, but I just definitely saw it for myself. And over the past like seven years, my partner and I have been together for about 12 years, um, just had to have that really hard conversation of is it a good idea? Mm-hmm. Is it a good idea for me physically? Because here's the thing, everyone's like, well, you could adopt. That's actually not the point. It's actually just caring yeah. for a being um, that worries me the most. Um, because then the other thing is, if say, if I did want to get pregnant, I would have to go off of most of my medication. And my medication is the only reason that I'm able to exist in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that if I had to take it away, I do think I'd be bed bound. Like, I don't, I don't think I would really be able to get out of bed. So I just had to really do some self-reflection and say... Am I willing to do that possibly to another human being in the sense of 
can I give it the best care that I know I'm capable of? Mm. And I, I think the answer to that is no. Like, mm. I don't think I would be able to be the parent that I want to be, that I know I'm capable of because of my health. It's also not fair to me. Like, I have had to already make so many sacrifices. My life looks drastically different than my peers. Most of my, my peers have two plus kids, right? And they don't know what it's like to live a life like ruled by your health. So mm -hmm. it was a hard decision. It's a brutal decision. It's one I'll think about probably for the rest of my life. Um, but I think it's the right decision. I say I think because I still wrestle with it, but I think sure. it's the right decision mm -hmm. for me. How, how has it been um, talking about that with people in your lives? I know at like this age, I, I feel like the only person in my life, like sometimes I'll go and and see my dad and like my my dad or my stepmom will be like, when when are we gonna have grandchildren or whatever? Um and I feel like those no, the, those, are, up, those are common things that people ask of people in their, you know, early to mid thirties. Um, how has it been sort of navigating those conversations with people in your life when they bring that up or if you talk about it with them? Well, first of all, let's stop asking people that. Like, why totally, are we even asking totally. that question? It's very invasive. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of reasons why people choose or cannot have children. So that's one. And two, they're usually very difficult conversations. Um, as most people who live with illness, there's just like, no matter how much people try and get it, unless you live in the body, unless you navigate life in that way, you just don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure you might feel similar things, right? Um, and so whenever I talk to people about that, they always just come up with like ideas for me. Mm, totally. It is like you yeah. could adopt or or people will say, you'll be the best aunt ever. And I'm like, mm. it's okay. you don't have to, you don't have to spin it. You don't have to come up with a way that I could do it. You just have to kind of sit in the discomfort of realizing I have mm. to make that decision. And you also have to respect that I made that decision. Mm. I don't think the pinnacle of existence is parenthood. I think you can still be a good person without being a parent. For some reason, we really look down on childless people. <laughs> I don't know why. Which is so funny. People just weird. have a it's really so hard time. weird, dude. Like, it's very strange. Why the being, fuck do you care? Like, who dinks, it's shit. not your life. Yeah. Being, being dinks fucking fuck, rules. Dude. Dual income, no kids, dude. Yeah. Fuck people yeah. Have a, yeah. Yeah. Celebrate. People have a really, in general, like, to, with the, with um, that statement of, like, telling them about, you know, your where your head is at with having kids or whether it's, like, you say something about what you're dealing with with illness, people just have a super hard time saying... Just saying, fuck, that sucks. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, or like, yeah, man, wow, I'm, I hear, I hear you, because mm -hmm. it, it, it really is like sometimes it's just as simple as that is going like, I, mm -hmm. I, I hear you, I'm right there, I'm right there with you. Instead of like, and I, and I, I, I sympathize with like, I sympathize with the knee jerk reaction to try and like mm -hmm. make it. Well, better. just we're trying to fix it. Right? We're trying like, to fix that's, it. Yeah. We're we. I mean, that's like that. That's that is just ingrained in our yeah. society and our culture. Is like, oh, this person is struggling. I can fix. Let me fix, yeah. exactly. or this makes me about, feel uncomfortable. But, I can fix. <laughs> but the thing about mm -hmm. the thing about the about the asking about children thing. I mean, I, uh, Kyle and I, my wife and I had we had our our baby through IVF, um, and there was a you know there was a long stretch of time where we were like, who knows if we're going to have a kid? Like, we don't know. We're going to mm. do IVF. That's a total that's a total coin flip. Whether that will work or not, um, and who what whatever. So like we're kind of grappling with we were grappling with like will we or won't we and what like if we can't what does that look like and how do we grapple mm -hmm. with that and and especially and I'm sure you probably noticed this a lot like especially when you were like really actively you know contemplating on whether or not you know that was something that you wanted for your, for yourself um 
you start to notice like how prevalent that question or that that like expectation is out there in the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's like when you buy a VW and it's like all of a sudden now every car you see, you're like, holy shit, there's a lot of VWs on the road. It's like as soon as you're thinking about it, you realize how many people are asking and expecting and going like, when are you doing it? When are you going to have it? When can we do it? When are the grandkids going to It's there? brutal even if you don't, like, it just don't ask people I that. Know. Like, they'll volunteer the information. There are so many other things to talk about and it's an extremely personal decision mm-hmm. and there's a lot of grief attached to it. And totally. like, let's just be better. Like, we don't need to ask. I'm very mm. like, when someone asks me and I, I, I try not to get in my soapbox with them, but like, why are you asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, especially like, you know, it's like if my fucking 75 year old grandmother asks. It's a little different. Right, all right. Whatever. But yeah, like you, if you're fucking, if you're 30 years old and you're asking that question, yeah, like, just, what yeah. the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Just what are you, like, what? Where, what totally. cave did you just walk out just, of, you yeah. troglodyte? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> just, just, out of, you know? just, just out of curiosity, though. Um, just out of curiosity, is it okay to ask the question of like, are you planning on having kids? Not like obviously with without the like, the like, you know, when's the kids coming? Yeah, like without right. the the like implying that you're expecting that they're gonna say yes. I mean, I don't it. love it. I, I don't want anyone to ask me about my involvement with kids because when you, if you say, are you planning to have kids? In my mind, I'm thinking, I would love to, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? Like it just it makes me confront like my reality just like over and over again. And it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm very aware. Of I like, think it's a I setting have, thing. I have a similar, I, it, I have a similar thing about um, marriage because mm-hmm. I'm not married and I've been with my girlfriend for five years. And I also have a lot of um, like personal challenges around the idea of marriage because my parents got divorced. And it's something that I talk a lot about in my own therapy. And when somebody asks me if I'm thinking about marriage, if it's someone who's not, not close to me, then it makes me feel uncomfortable and sometimes I don't know how to like go into the you know details of of that with them and so I I'll usually just try to like brush it off and change the conversation if it's somebody who's like close to me and they're asking me about it from a genuine point of view and they're curious about it I'm okay with talking about the actual real feelings that I feel towards that and the things that mm-hmm. you know scare me about it or make me feel uncomfortable because I think that it's helpful for me to think about it and talk about it but it's also maybe can help them understand that somebody okay. has a different point of view or or way to see the world and so like i guess like i i think when i hear you you talk about um you know how it makes you feel when somebody asks that if it's a stranger who just walks up to you and is like when are you thinking about well, having the thing kids about or whatever the kids thing like, is that's, that, that's one the thing, thing about the kid thing is that in my experience that almost that is almost always who it is it's only it's almost always right, a peripheral yeah. person who doesn't have that much to do with your life it's kind of like it's almost like a, a point of small talk for some reason which right. is yes. very, which yeah. is like, like oh it's storming do you have children yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's very strange how it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like it is such a deeply personal thing and it mm-hmm. so often comes from somebody who you often have a very peripheral relationship with you know you're like at a gathering and you've maybe shared a handful of words with this person, and one of the first questions is about yeah. children. And it's a and it, it is kind of strange in that way. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of historical context to that, but it is it's yeah. it is strange. And I, I do like your comedic take on it that like if it is a if it's your grandmother, like mm. they're from an era, everybody had a thousand kids. Yeah. Okay. Now times are different. Yeah. You know, like it having kids is kind of a coin flip for a lot of people. 
You know, it's a very... Yeah, if you're having kids today, you're weird. Let's be real. We're living in, in, in this climate? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Um, yeah, I mean, Who can on, afford to have honestly, kids? Honestly, <laughs> like, you know, the, the, my, I, I think um, I, I really do enjoy, I, and I don't, I don't recommend this at all. Because I, I don't think it's really uh, I don't think it's helpful and, and actually probably probably more problematic uh, and will probably bring more like shade to your life than your than than anyone really wants. But my favorite thing to do in in moments like that where like somebody asks me something that's like that is just like you know that uh, that is like maybe inappropriate or, or it's like you don't know me like it's kind of odd that you're asking me even that question like the question of if someone I don't really know just is like so like uh, when are you, are you thinking about having kids or something like that my initial response to that or like the you know the thing that i i find myself doing i've got my lizards is i just i respond with an answer that immediately makes that person regret asking you know so it's like Trauma like, like 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 when they go well are you thinking about having kids and i just go I actually fucking hate kids you know or just like something something just like so try that. so mm-hmm. disarming that they just go okay okay and it's like, okay, yeah, maybe yeah. next time so just take I'm a second. I'm actually part of the like extinctionist <laughs> movement. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, no, a better yeah. one would be uh, saying like, uh, actually, you know, I was babysitting when I was younger and I actually um, killed a kid by accident. Like I, I gave him an EpiPen <laughs> oh, whoa, and uh, he didn't yeah. need it and it resulted in his death. So I'm really nervous about taking care of that him. That made me uncomfortable. Very I know you're specific. joking. That's, yeah, that was really, it was really so, specific. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so, I, it was very I, specific. I, is that what you're going to say next time, it said, next time someone asks if you're going to give CPR and you go, yeah, well, I actually almost killed my best friend <laughs> last time he fainted giving him CPR when he didn't need it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm 33% successful. Yeah, also very, CPR uh, very, very specific and uh, very true. Um, uh, Kat, I, I, before... And we're, we're coming up to time here, but before we before we do, there's there is one sort of two part question that I like to ask most of our guests. But before I get to that, uh, tell us about your tell us about your work because you are you're an author. You've written a couple I of am. kids books that that you know that that surround the the issues of health, uh, which I think is really fucking cool. Um, but also, you work for the Mighty, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of our listeners are very familiar with the Mighty's work. So give us just a, like an overview of your work and and the ways that you. Um, that you're involved in things that like kind of help, um, kind of help do what we're doing here, which is like spread awareness and advocate and and you know, um, kind of help the world. Well, one thing everyone should know about me is that it was my dream for as long as I knew to be a magazine editor. It was just like my singular focus. I wanted to do it. It was my writing and editing, especially like a glossy magazine, was just like my favorite. So I moved to New York, um, went to school did internships at magazines all throughout college and then landed my first job in associate editor like right out of college. And it was just like, I'm living my best life. Year and a half into that, my health got so bad. I was throwing up in trash cans on random NYC streets. Like things just kind of went downhill after that. And so I kind of had to change course, right? I was like living my dream to not living my dream. And then I got sicker and sicker and sicker. And then I was just like, but my health doesn't have to take away my ability to say something. Mm. Um, it's my favorite way of expressing myself. And so I started just like speaking out and I had an opportunity. I wrote a, a cover feature story for Real Simple Magazine. I don't know if you all have Real Simple in Canada, but it's a pretty popular like I don't want, it's not a homemaking magazine. It's terrible. It's just like a lifestyle magazine. They do, mm-hmm. they do health features though sometimes. And I wrote it on migraine. And that was the first time that I've ever like written. It wasn't even about my personal experience, but actually just like wrote about health. And I was like addicted to it. Mm-hmm. And so now that's just what I do. I started doing advocacy work. I do a lot with the American Migraine Foundation and have helped them with um, a couple of campaigns. And they actually wrote um, the back part of my children's book, Migraine and Mia. 
um, which was an amazing. So that was my second one. And my first book uh, is called Surgery on Sunday, which um, a really long story that I won't tell, but the Duchess of York, so Sarah Ferguson, did a story time of Surgery on Sunday, like at the beginning of the pandemic, Ooh. like in her garden. Um, wow. She cool. had some really interesting voices when she read it. She has lots of props that she used. Um, but that, <laughs> cool. was a, that was a really, that was a pretty cool moment because I received so lovely. much feedback. Huh? Mm. That sounds lovely. <laughs> it, it was lovely. She said my name wrong at one point. And then she, um, <laughs> there's the... I, I How do you say cat hairs and wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Kratz Marishan. <laughs> but there, there was the word cicadas in the book, towards oh, yes. the back of the book. And yeah. she called them chicadas. Oh, <laughs> which is very sweet. Yeah. Um, so I, it was funny though when I was writing those books, the constant feedback I got was, "No one cares about health. Yeah. No one will buy a health book." I'm like, mm. oh, your life hasn't been touched by a health condition, has it? Like, you mm-hmm. don't even know. So those are my two book babies. But then on, not on the side, those are really like my side hustle. But my my big gig that I do is I, I work on the community side of the Mighty. Um, I started as a contributor for them in 2017, and then they launched their online platform in 2018. They just happen to have a skill set that, you know, really aligns with the work that I do. And so now I get to help, you know, millions mm. of people tell their stories vulnerably. And it is so healing for me. Like the fact that I know that after this, I'm going to go on to our social platform and I'll see people talking about lupus. I'll see mm-hmm. people talking about migraine. And that's like what I get to live every day. Some people are like, why wow, you do way too much with health? And I'm like, yeah, but what I experience and I found a lot of like online community and friendship in in doing it and then of course I love doing stuff like this Mm because it's fun I love that. I mean, you know, it's, and that, that resonates with the three of us because it's very similar to what we've been trying to do, you know, and it's, it, there is something, I mean, I, you know, really we're just kind of preaching to the choir here, but I think anybody listening to the show who's been listening for a while or anybody who's like, you know, who, who is a fan of the mighty, it's like there is power to speaking about this shit whether it's mental health, physical health, doesn't matter what it is that you're going through, speaking about it, you know, putting it out into the world, it it helps in so many different ways, whether mm-hmm. that's just how, allowing you to clear the thoughts out of your head about what's going on, whether it's about finding community so you don't feel so alone, whether it's about, you know, sharing your story in order to to inspire others to advocate for themselves or whatever it might be. It's just so valuable. And so it's really nice to see that not only are you taking part in that and adding to that in a really, really big way, but also contributing to, to that side of things for, for a younger audience, for children, you know, mm-hmm. um, because again, it's uh, in, order for, in order for people to be strong advocates, they need to know uh, what it is that they're going through. And, and for children who are dealing with illness, it's like, you got to learn. You got to learn about that stuff at, at that period of time. And, and it's kind of hard to learn about that as a kid because it's a lot of fucking shit to sift through. And, and, and it is. And there's a lot of stigma around that, actually. Like the biggest, mm-hmm. like the worst, bad Amazon reviews make me laugh because um, they're <laughs> typically like so off base. But yeah. the one thing that people say about surgery on Sunday is that it's too scary. It tells children too much about health. Um, and some <laughs> people will write in, in the comments like they don't tell their kids about the surgery until the day it's happened. And I'm like, that's kind of cruel. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, yeah. And you know what's funny is those kids that aren't being told about their surgery until the day of, which is 
fucking horrifying. It's Those terrible. same kids, a couple days, you know, on Friday before the surgery on Sunday, they were in the woods and they found a fucking clear plastic bag that's all damp. And when they reached in, they pulled out a bunch of like, like magazines called jugs and and like and this and also Hustler. seems like a very specific and memory. They were just like, looking yes, through them so and they were going, "What is this? This is this is making me feel kind of funny." And also, I had and, this specific experience. I will tell you right now, every person I know has had a similar experience. Why you? were they all stored in the I don't know. Woods? Because the, the internet was young. <laughs> or, you know, I, I like to think it was like this weird fucking Johnny Appleseed who was just like going in the like woods of local neighborhoods just throwing porn <laughs> magazines and bags. But it, I mean, you know, it's like you're it's sheltering your kids from yeah. the realities of life. Mm-hmm. Well, you, good luck because they're going to find it else, elsewhere. And to be honest with you, if you're a good parent, you're probably going to be want to be the one who has who has a little bit of like say in the way that this shit is taught to your kid. Exactly. And And the way that they feel about it and internalize it. I have so much, I have many thoughts about what it was like to go through that when I was young, Mm. what I was told, how much decisions I had in my care, things I would have done differently, things I thought my parents did incredible with. And Mm. the one thing is just like more transparency with the person going through it. I don't care how young they are. You don't have to tell them they're going to cut you open, but you do have to talk about like Mm -hmm. what they're going to do and what it might feel like afterwards because anticipatory guidance going into surgery there's like literal research that says how much that helps Mm -hmm. and so i get really angry whenever i'm like i don't tell my kids there will be an iv and i'm like have you ever realized like have you ever realized like how much it sucks that you can't tell your pet that you're on the way to the vet i know it's like Mm -hmm. because when you get to the vet your dog is like what? Wait, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? Yeah. I'm at the vet? Yeah, yeah. This is horrible. Why yeah. didn't you tell me? And you're like, yeah. I couldn't. You don't speak English. My dog knows. I tell yeah. him. I say, My dog also knows. As soon as we turn a vet. specific corner, he's like, no. Ah, I see what you're doing. My dog's an idiot. He goes to the vet and he's like, fuck yeah, dude. I love it here. I love it there. I love it everywhere. Actually, Rupert loves energy. the vet too. Because they, uh, they give him treats. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, well, great. I'm glad we ended the podcast on uh, comparing children to dogs. Um, uh, Kat, uh, before we wrap, I would love to just ask you a question that we like to ask most of our guests, which is, um, I guess the way I'll word this is... Um, out of all the health issues that you've dealt with over the span of your lifetime, what would you say is the biggest thing that it has taken away from you? Um, my ability to have control over my day-to-day. My, you know, not knowing will it be a good day or a bad day, not knowing what decisions will push me over the edge, not knowing if I'll be able to follow through with plans, that, that unpredictability and that loss of control is I, part of what I struggle with the most for sure. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Community, without a doubt. Hands down, I could say that all day. Like meeting uh, most of my closest friends now, it's not that I only befriend people with chronic illness, but it's just so much easier. Mm. Like it's just so much easier to like not take a phone call, to not get back to someone for two weeks. Like they just get it. Um, And I really just have gotten to meet like you guys. Just so many cool people who get it. And Mm. that's kind of been a beautiful thing for me. Mm. Well, this has been a beautiful conversation and we really do appreciate the work that you do. We appreciate the fact that you took time out of your day to sit down and and share your experiences with a couple of strangers. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is just, this has been an absolute delight and I can't wait for for our audience to be able to to hear this and hear about you and the work that you do. Speaking of, how can people find you? How can people stay up up to date with the work that you're up to? 
I mean, really the best is my website. So Kat writes for you, spell my name K-A-T. So catwritesforyou.com. Um, I have socials, so I am on Instagram. XOCat is pretty much my handle everywhere, but I don't know about you, but social media is absolutely the thing that falls off my list when I don't feel well. <laughs> so I haven't posted yeah. as much. I haven't been as active. I'm on the Mighty though all the time because it's my job. So you can also come find me there. Sweet. Thank you so much. This has been yeah. this has been really great. Thanks for having me. And thanks for having conversations like this. I think it's really important, um, especially, I mean, I've obviously listened to some of your past episodes and they're all so different, which I think also shows me so many more people deal with health than we even know. And so I'd like that you do that. Well, well we're, not, we're not quitting anytime soon. Yeah. So thanks for contributing. Well, that's good. <laughs> Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.